خوش اومده دوستان من شهریار افشار هستم میزبان شما در پالاتیکس 365 امروز یکی از کارشناسای خیلی فعال در کنگره آمریکا به برنامه پیوسته خانم لورالای کلی در واشنگتن دی سی ایشون کارشون هستش یه کار خیلی سختی دارن ایشون که با کنگره آمریکا کار میکنن که سیستمای بهتر جوابگو در کنگره ایجاد کنن و بیشتر سعی کنن که اعضای کنگره بتونن جواب بدن به استانایی که نمایندهشون هستن یه کار خیلی سختی دارن بیش از سی ساله ایشون در این زمینه دارن کار میکنه واقعا خیلی کار جالبیه و من میخواستم حتما برای شنوندگان عزیز با یه همچین شخصی مصاحبه کنیم که بتونیم ازشون یاد بگیریم بقیه برنامه به انگلیسی خواهد بود پس ما رو ببخشید از اون لحاظ I'm a Benim Domala Baraman. Lorelai Kelly, thank you so much for indulging my little Farsi intro. Um, so great to have you. What an amazing and fascinating, at least for a policy wonk like me, uh, that loves government, loves good government, and loves to be a part of helping citizens understand and access their government, especially minorities, especially the Iranian-American community that I've loved for the entire 44 years, 45 years I've been in this country. Um, it's never been more important for Iranians to understand their government, their rights, uh, and how uh, the federal government works, and in your case, how how democracy works in Congress, and how we can really uh, foster and cultivate and embrace a more representative government. Uh, it, it's always been a mystery, and I know even for all the years you've been in Washington, um, there isn't an easy button for Congress, uh, but here we are, at least as one minority group, Iranian Americans scattered across the country, but a big concentration in Southern California, looking at what's happening. And of course, with great concern about Iran and US-Iran relations, but really trying to understand um, uh, Congress uh, and really what your role is and how uh, you are a part of the solution and how we can observe and maybe participate and support what you're doing to the extent mm -hmm. that we can as private citizens. So welcome to Politics 365. Tell us a little bit about your background, and then we'll get into your role after that. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. So I was born in California, <laughs> in the Bay Area, near San Francisco, and spent the first part of my life there, but then moved to uh, rural um, New Mexico. Um, and I like to point that out just because I grew up in very urban and very rural America. So I, I'm pretty easy with the red, blue, cross-cutting divide. Um, I think that helps uh, right now is just sort of having an open mind and a, an open hand to discuss these kinds of democracy issues with anybody out there. And I think that this broader conversation is outside of the news media and the media ecosystem that we have right now is really important. So I really appreciate what you're doing with your radio show. Radio remains my very favorite uh, medium for communication. I used to produce a radio program in Portland, Oregon. So oh, fantastic. The, I yeah. should, we have another, we're going to have another session just so I can learn from you about how to doing that because <laughs> I'm making it up as I go along, oh, uh, I love, but, love, but yeah. so far so good. And then well, I, I, I worked, so I grew up in sort of rural New Mexico, went um, overseas uh, in 1989 um, and lived in uh, Berlin in Germany, working on nuclear weapons issues. So east-west divide, I was right in the middle of the end of the Cold War. 
Um, and it left a great impression on me because I was in these sort of totalitarian countries like the Soviet Union, um, Czechoslovakia, uh, you know, Hungary, all before they uh, opened up. And so I saw what that kind of really coercive, top-down, highly ideological, um, very punishing regime is. I saw what it did to civil society and to members of the community who tried to take a risk on behalf of everyone to have a voice, to simply contribute, to see themselves reflected in their own government, to connect to power, all of that. I saw what they did uh, to smash the, the possibilities for that. I mean, you see it again, of course, in Russia now. Uh, Iran is one of the most densely layered security states in the world, um, from what I know. I did work on national security in Congress for a decade. Um, at the end of the Cold War, looking at all these new issues coming up. Um, and the reason I set up a, a convening system in Congress, because it it's 50 offices on the Senate side, it's 441 on the House side. They're all run like little businesses or they're, they're like uh, their own little civilizations. Congress itself is, you know, several thousand people sitting up on Capitol Hill with these old marble walls. Uh, one example of the modernization work I've done most recently is simply putting routers inside the marble walls so people can get Wi-Fi working wow. in Congress. Keep in mind that like the the district offices and there are 900 of them across the United States also just got connected in a unified Wi-Fi uh, in the last year. So I, I went from working on national security issues like arms control into the Cold War, peacekeeping, a lot of civil military issues. Um, and then I realized as I worked on those issues in this old structure that was you know, 200 years old, I realized that Congress couldn't see or hear the modern world. It doesn't have situational awareness about the world that it exists in. Why? Because the whole sorting and filtering system of information into Congress is captured or uh, um, non-existent or uh, vintage, it's, it's obsolete. It can't communicate very well um, it can't understand a, a holistic view. These committees who uh, talk about Iran, for example, or foreign policy, they're in their own little um, silo. And that committee was set up in the 1800s. So you're looking at a system that, that I think anyway, it's best chance for serving the kind of really diverse multiracial democracy that we have really has to get in front of the technology and the data revolution and deploy those tools on behalf of our constitutional democracy. I look at the work I do now, which is modernizing the institution, the technology and data. I look at it as a critical infrastructure in the sense that um, when, you know, one of the most democratic things that has happened in the last 200 years in Congress was because of the pandemic. I'll give you an example. All of a sudden, the hearings had to go online um, and the witnesses appeared like I am right now with you on Zoom. So all of a sudden, the witnesses and the voices being put on the record in Congress, the bench became the whole United States. You could call in from anywhere and have a hearing. Um, I thought like, so those, the pandemic emergency and then January 6th where we saw violence in the Capitol, those really accelerated in the membership's own mind of, oh my gosh, we need to figure out how to be present in the modern world. Um, this, the House of Representatives is probably 15 years ahead of the Senate. Uh, I like to say it is the House is, if, if the Senate is a yellow sticky note on the fridge, 
the house is a blinking VCR. <laughs> um, it's still pretty. It's still pretty behind the times. But um, the the explanation for this is five years ago, I guess, uh, two thousand eighteen. A group of members uh, approached Nancy Pelosi, who is the leader, um, to please create a committee, a reform committee on modernization. These kinds of committees have been formed in Congress since the end of World War II, always called something different, but like constant, you know, in, institutional reform. So finally, at long last, Congress got a reform committee. It hadn't had one that changed the rules since the 70s, because the one in the 90s kind of got overtaken by the contract with America, uh, Newt Gingrich's sort of war on government. Um, and that, I, I, I wasn't working on the Hill at that time, but I came in the late 90s. And the impact of, of those changes in Congress have been extremely detrimental and long lasting. So what happened in the 90s is a lot of Congress's own sort of gray matter, its, its analytical skills, its big picture capacity was eliminated. Um, and then a lot of the sort of second track, the people who sort of took the risks and tried out new ideas and got members together from different parties and created identities outside of party, those were eliminated. That was called the caucus system. So Congress was really working at a, at a much diminished state. On top of that, it's working um, in, at like 1975 levels of capacity, so staffing. You have the size of the United States population doubling in the last 30 years or the last 40 years. Congress is still churning along with the same number of staff it's funded now a little bit better, probably at a 1995 capacity, but in no way is it competitive in the world to be a player in the arena of our future, our destiny, talking about uh, where we're going, a, a path forward, uh, fighting on behalf of public goods. Um, Congress is one of the largest publishing entities in the world, and it still uses a document format from the Civil War. <laughs> I can, I can you, just you know it's it's both funny and sad you know it's hard to and and those are some of the most important decisions in the world are happening yeah. with technology and innovation of uh, 200 years ago or something well we've let it become derelict i mean it really has it's the most consequential representative body in the world sure. it's it's this strange jalopy right the house and the senate are completely different they kind of talk to each other, frenemies, right? They kind of cooperate, but then they don't like each other. They have really different roles and really interesting roles that I think if they were updated and modernized, they would be such better representatives of civic voice of regular people. So think about it, I think about it this way, like at almost every level, Congress is either too obsolete to communicate with the outside world or the channels for communication are captured. And that's the, the, uh, the narrow private interests that are in the system that can just purchase access to the system. Um, you know, the lobbying industry here is, is just through the roof. Like for every one of me working at Georgetown University, right. trying to like do the public good, there's 200 people uh, getting paid a lot of money to influence the very small decisions, the gears, I call it the back end gears of the institution. Um, so the case I make for you know funding Congress like it's a player in the modern world, that's up to the members and the American public need to fight for it. Um, so that's one thing your listening audience can do is next time you see your member of Congress uh, from the San Diego area or any Californian at an event, say, hey, I was listening to a radio show and heard about modernization in the house. That's wonderful. Do you know about it? Mm -hmm. And if you do, what does it mean for you? 
simply, yeah. you know, members love those open-ended questions. Like how is your life working in this institution? I just went to a hearing this morning on the house side in the committee on house administration, which has taken up the tasks of the former select committee on modernization. That's the one that I ended up working and supporting over the last six years from Georgetown. Congress borrows a lot of people from civil society and, and sort of academia because it doesn't have uh, enough um, internal staff. So a lot of us are dedicated um, for the public good piece of this to helping Congress as much as we can um, in, our, in our jobs. Uh, so, so the committee created 202 recommendations. These are simple things like some of it's just accessibility of websites, of getting in the building. Some of it's a congressional digital service. Some of it, like I said before, is just getting routers in these old marble. Well, like a lot of government is defeated by marble walls. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> because you can't penetrate the mar the So the routers yeah. can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I really, like the White House, a, a few years ago, I was down there like at a coffee shop. And I'm like, this is like the Soviet Union. Like, I'm next to the White House and the internet is so bad. And it's because um, it's not, it's just not equipped, right? They're still like duct taping those power bars to the wall. So it's finally, and the pandemic really, I think was a shot across the bow. You had all these members in place working on bringing this old institution. Like you can now introduce legislation by email. That's huge. It right. used to be this wooden box sitting on the floor. If you watch C-SPAN, you've seen it. The members come like, Whatever they wrote the bill on, it could be a menu or a napkin or right, a yellow. Right. They throw it in there. Then the clerk and, and the legislative council, they write it into bills. So it's just this very old anachronistic system. Um, and that is all slowly changing. Like all U.S. code is now machine readable. Um, pretty soon, all the stuff that's in PDFs, which are not searchable, as you know, it's this is really rigid format. They're going to become machine readable. Like to me, it's this opening to, of Congress so that the rest of the world can interact with it without having to purchase access. Think right. about it. The right to petition in the First Amendment belongs in the House of Representatives. Functionally, it belongs to Congress, and it does not fulfill that mission. The yeah. right to petition. And the people who were, you know, invaded the Capitol in 2021 on January 6th, some of them were claiming the right to petition as the you know, rationale, you should never, ever allow violence in the public right. square. That's the it, most dangerous thing it, we've it, done. You know, on that point, because we have about three minutes left, but uh, fascinating, I, as, a, as a government wonk, I love hearing <laughs> the, the sausage making uh, problems, local level, state level, federal level. You know, we have such grandiose expectations of this institution. Um, and here we are, we can't even do the most basic of, of tasks uh, because we're dealing with older technology. A um, couple of things. Uh, I, I won't get to the petitioning part because, you know, uh, there are things in the American um, uh, democratic experiment that lead you to believe that you can do anything you want, <laughs> you know, like the vice president putting aside the votes of, you know, I mean, like, you know, like they're misleading in some way because, when they were, or even the right to bear arms, you know, back then they had long guns that take three minutes to load and unload. I mean, the, <laughs> the, the militia, the Second Amendment, you know, the, but we use it today as if it, it was, you know, they have the, the knowledge of technology and innovation that we have today in 2024, uh, back when they were writing the, the Constitution. And back then they were mm -hmm. simply trying to unite 13 colonies uh, against a taxing uh, monarch, a COA. <laughs> 
and, and now it's 50 independent countries holding hands. It's just crazy. I'm like, we, this, this wasn't this far outgrew what the founding fathers thought they could do back then. Oh, for sure. Simplest, yeah. Right. Look at the complexity you just described a, a minute ago. Um, it's all but, possible, though. It's it's a it's not it's a wicked problem. It is not an impossible problem. No, of course not. Problem. No, it's entirely right. uh, yeah. uh, within reach. Uh, with I mean, we need a, th a thousand more Lorelei Kellys uh, <laughs> to do it. But thank God you're there, help shepherding the the, she the sheep there. Uh, but, you know, in the two minutes we have left, uh, Congressional Research Service, uh, mm -hmm. something, uh, you know, when you talk about access to data and information, and, and I just want, maybe you could quickly explain maybe what, obviously what it is in the Library of Congress and the research arm of Congress and what it's doing today and how it's evolved. Sure. That'd be great. So the, okay, so the first branch of government, Congress is the heartbeat of it, and it has all these agencies. Congress is has the institutional memory of our democracy, including the data in it. It's not the executive branch. It's not the judiciary. It's Congress. Right. Our challenge right now is to make sure that that data is as discoverable, machine readable. People can find it and use it. We can audit it. We can make sure it's valid, authentic, and um and trustworthy. Really, the issue is trust. How are we going to build the data governing system and the AI tools to increase trust and social cohesion? And how can Congress be the main player in that? So I encourage people. So Congressional Research Service is this amazing stable of experts sitting next to Congress in the Library of Congress. This year, they're going through a job search, if you know anyone, to get a new executive director. Who that person is this time next year is going to determine Congress's brain, basically, how you can access it. Will it use data in hearings? Will you be able to interrogate and use dynamic modeling in hearings? We'll be able to see how a law impacts San Diego. Like we can do all of this. Mm. Uh, this is the disruptive potential is like, why do we always have this national conversation going on when we can talk about how policies impact people in California right. and in Kansas and in New York and in New Mexico, wherever. Um, that's the challenge is how do we bring industry standard data and technology in at the right time and place to govern ourselves that is inclusive and fair and where Americans can see themselves in their own democracy. Right. Like those are really exciting possibilities. And for the democracy nerds out there, go to uh, Select Committee on Modernization recommendations. It will pull up the recommendations for you and you can see uh, how we're doing. And and I like I said, always, uh, uh, you know, members need a constituency to be active on anything. Right. And, um, and they need they, a push. They yeah, need a push. They right. They'll be excited. It, you know, go meet with their staff. And the right. other thing members are looking for are trustworthy partners to pilot new technologies to connect with their right. constituencies. That's all open right now. Well, I, I will uh, pledge to you whatever I can do to help Congress <laughs> uh, make a better, you personally uh, make better <laughs> government uh, from San Diego to D.C. to Bay Area. It doesn't matter. Uh, this is really why I went into public service for 25 years. Uh, trying to make better government, um, and uh, here you are doing it. So, a thousand <laughs> thank yous, Lorelai Kelly. We will um, keep talking. This has been fascinating. Uh, uh, please come back and talk to us again. Okay, thank you. Uh, say hi to the Pacific Ocean for me. I will. Thank you. <laughs>